So today we're reading from Luke 17, verse 20 to 37. Once, having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming where you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Men will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running off after them, for the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People then were drinking and eating, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Good morning. Welcome to Regeneration. My name is Albert. Aren't you guys surprised that we're doing more than like five verses? Isn't it great? We're going to wrap up a whole chapter today. Let me pray Well, before I get started here. Lord, we cherish your word. And God, we pray for your spirit to fill us, to fill our minds and our hearts, our spirits, our souls, uh, to minister exactly where we're at. Uh, even if it's not coming out of my mouth, but Lord, you're a dynamic, living God. And the things that we need to be ministered for and uh, that, that, that we need to hear from you, I pray, Lord, that that would supernaturally happen. And God, I pray that this text would be able to minister to people. Help us to hear you and see you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So in last week's message, it was an Easter message, and I mentioned how people are, are fascinated with death. And that not that they're just fascinated with death, but what happens after death. Very seldom do you hear that, that life is just over like a computer switching off. You do hear that. And you hear that uh, mostly from atheists, and they've written some books out there now, and you hear things like that, but it's definitely a minority position. I read an article about the rise of atheism in the United States, and they gave all these stats and how it's the fastest-growing thing, but they leave out the stats that in the entire world's population, it's less than 4%. So, you know, they, they kind of skew things like that. So I've actually never, ever, ever been to a funeral or memorial service where there was a belief that nothing happens after death. 
even if the room there had atheists there or the friends and the family were atheists or anything like that, out of all the ones that I've been to during the eulogy, no one just says, like, their, their switch turned off. And that's it. That, that just never happens. And so you would hear in their eulogies things like, I'm glad that they're now in heaven, that they don't experience pain anymore, and that they're with angels. Or They say things like this to talk about an afterlife. And I've been to funerals, not just Christian ones. I've been to many different types of funerals. Uh, just from my background, my cultural background, I've been to many Buddhist funerals and ancestor worship and Taoist and Confucianism, agnostic, and all these different beliefs. But there's always a belief of an afterlife. None of them believe that it's just off. And the belief is always that the afterlife is better. None of them say like, oh, it's terrible that they died. They're going somewhere else. Unless you're a Christian. Then you think something different. But that's not necessarily true according to Christianity, right? Because we don't always believe that. We try to keep an upbeat attitude. I mean, we don't want to go up there and know that someone's not a believer and say like, oh, too bad that guy's in hell. Uh, you know, we don't do that. I mean, that's, that's lame. It lacks tact. You know, that's not something that we do. But, but we know, right? And some, something about death influences people to believe that life after death is better. That's just what happens with us. There is an optimism about what happens to people after they die. And so sure, people are hurting and they're grieving in, in this physical world, but there is an optimism about life after death for the majority of people in the world. The vast majority of people in the world believe this, regardless of their worldview, regardless of their religion. The grief people have typically isn't because of what they'll think will happen in the afterlife to their loved ones. The grief is typically more about missing that person now, right, in this life. And so people typically think that life is better, that they're in a better place after they die. The vast majority believe this. My question is, where does this optimism come from? Where does that optimism come from? Where do you come from? Who are you? Where are you going after death? And so with those questions, how did you come up with your answers? See, for the follower of Jesus, the answers are provided to us in the Bible. They're provided to us in an understandable, coherent, and a complete manner. And the opportunity we have as followers of Jesus Christ is to share that gospel account to provide answers to these types of questions. Now, you and I are not accidents from millions and millions of years of coincidences. You and I are created by God. We share the same nature as God, and we are created for a reason. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. We are not here by chance. Where does the optimism of life after death come from? God. We're made in his image. It's within us to believe that there is more to life than this, than this temporary physical life. It is implanted in us. The belief that there is no God, that is a really small minority. 
I gave you the percentage that it's less than 4%. This is the latest estimate that I've been able to pull up. And maybe you guys can pull up something more. And I was a little bit generous saying 4% because it was growing. But the last estimate I pulled up, it said was 2.3% of the world. That's the last estimate. And the vast majority of these atheists that hold this type of beliefs are in the Western nations. If you look at Africa, if you look at South America, if you look at the other countries, this belief is like hardly even there. And so you, you look at countries like ours, and you look at what's in the media, and what it really tells you is that people are obsessed with death, and they are obsessed with what happens after death. Even if they say, oh, no God, no God, no God, whatever, whatever. Look at our movies. Right? You look at our TV shows. Look at our video games. You know, look at this. There's an obsession with life after death, even if it surrounds some things that are fictional. But still, people are thinking about this, and people are producing things of works for this stuff. And there's something within a human being that is fascinated with life beyond death. And this fascination isn't shrinking away. I mean, it is growing. This thing's growing. How many apocalyptic movies are there? What's the number one movie right now? Hunger Games. That's an apocalyptic type of movie. I mean, it's not like the typical one, end of the world, boom, 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 you know, all that's. But it's, it's a type of an apocalyptic movie. And so people keep buying into this thing. They, they keep wanting it. Why? Why is that? Because there's something within us that knows that there's more to life than just this. We know it's intrinsic. We are fascinated with death. We are fascinated with the end of the world. We are fascinated with apocalyptic things. And the Bible addresses that as well. The Bible gives us meaning for our existence. And and it's clear that we are moving along this biblical timeline which will reach a climax upon Christ Jesus' return. Now our hope lies in Jesus Christ's return. And within the hope also lies this stern warning to us. The kingdom of God is a reality in which the King, Christ Jesus, God, is inviting us into His kingdom by repenting of our own sins and acknowledging Jesus to be who He claimed to be. Receiving Jesus in childlike faith, we gain entry into His kingdom. Not receiving Him, relying upon ourselves, results in the consequences of your sin, which is death. So, what's it going to be like when the kingdom of God comes? It's going to be obvious. No one's going to be surprised. Like, oh, this is the kingdom of God? You're going to know. This is going to be global. This is not just going to happen in one specific spot. This is going to happen worldwide. This is going to be an unexpected event. No one can time it. This is an inevitable event. No one can stop it. And for those who don't believe in Jesus as your Savior, this is a disastrous event. Because everyone will meet Jesus face to face. You will meet Him face to face. You either meet Him as your friend or you meet Him as your judge. But either way, you are going to meet Him. Everyone here knows that there will be a day that you will die. Right? Everyone knows that you will die. Unless Jesus comes before you physically die. And if you don't know that, I'm telling you now, you're going to die. Okay? 
if you, if you I'm going to live forever. No, you're going to die. So we, we all age. And so that's, that's why people invest in retirement funds and, and life insurance. That's why people put together trusts and wills and all this kind of stuff. All these financial workings are because you know you're going to die. You know it. And so you want to put things in order so you can take care of, of people that you're leaving behind or take care of organizations or whatever you want to leave behind. And, and it's good to take care of business on this earth. But have you taken care of business when you face God? Forever? I mean, you spend so much time thinking about this, this temporary place, you know, 70, 80 years, and you spend all this time to accumulate your wealth and accumulate all these things and possessions to leave behind. But how much are you thinking? How much are you investing of your time and energy and resources towards eternity? Everlasting. Because throughout human history, we have known there is something more than just this life. God planted that in us. People have known that forever. This is forever. So the question is whether we are really ready for life after death. And so this is something that we're going to take a look at in Luke chapter 17. Are we ready to meet our Maker? And since our life is so temporary on this world, are we doing with our short time on this earth what we really need to be doing? We know that the Bible has instructed us on Jesus Christ's return. And we know that no one is aware of the return of Jesus except God the Father. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Yet that doesn't stop people from preaching about Christ's return, does it? I mean, mean, it's evident. And and we know we are to look forward to it and that we are to put effort into sharing the gospel because we don't know when that will be. But people have all sorts of theories as to when Christ will return, don't they? And so the bottom line is that Jesus will return. And all the talk of of when that is happening, that is speculative. That is just guessing. Essentially, this is what the Pharisees were wondering and asking Jesus when the kingdom of God would come in, in verse 20. It said, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. And so the, the, the Pharisees knew the Old Testament prophecies. They knew all that stuff. They were really bright guys. They studied the scriptures a lot. And this was a legitimate question for them because there were 400 years of prophetic silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Just quiet. Nothing. So this is a valid question they had for Jesus. So Jesus answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Jesus answers to the Pharisees' questions didn't seem to satisfy them. They they weren't happy with that. Jesus essentially told them that the kingdom of God will not be figured out by your watchful observation. You're not going to be able to just see it. People in our day are are guilty of the same thing, aren't they? You have people who are doing that today, right in our own backyard. Right? Family radio, that's just right here out of Oakland, making these predictions on, on several occasions, and they've been wrong about Jesus Christ's return. And I point them out mainly, uh, because 
people have lost their homes. People have lost their life savings because they've believed in a false prophet. And we, we have to compare what people say to the Word of God. You have to do that. The things that I say, you have to compare it to the Word of God. Don't just take it. Don't just take the things that you're hearing from someone on a pulpit. And the Word of God tells us that no one knows except the Father. No one. The Father only. And the kingdom of God isn't coming with signs that that we can just kind of watchfully observe. We can see that it's coming closer, but we can't predict the time. And this is why. Because the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It's within you. It is inside of you. Jesus has already told them that the kingdom of God is already here. It's already here. There's just this not yet aspect to it. But it's already here. And back in Luke chapter 4, verse 21, he told them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And Jesus was referring to the prophecy about himself back in Isaiah. And so Jesus told them in Luke chapter 11, verse 20, But it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, and the kingdom of God has come upon you. But they couldn't understand that, that the kingdom of God was upon them. That the kingdom of God was already there. They, they couldn't see it. The kingdom of God is here. And some of us can't see it. There is a not yet aspect to it though. So Jesus has already made the kingdom of God available to us in that those who come to Jesus in childlike faith receive Him. They receive Him. And those who refuse and reject Him receive judgment. So Jesus tells them that the kingdom of God, it's already here, and you're not going to figure it out by by your watchful observation. And he also tells them that the Son of Man will come back so unexpectedly, so abruptly, that any prediction in regards to it is going to be inaccurate. You're going to be wrong. Verses 22 through 24. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here, do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in His day. It's going to come so suddenly, you won't have time to prepare for it, other than already being ready for it. Make sense? You can't be like, oh, He's coming, I'm going to do everything right now. You have to be ready now. Because you don't know when it is. And when what started as a question from the Pharisees, Jesus then addresses it to his disciples. You notice that? He often does this. From verse, verses 22 through 37, Jesus addressed his disciples regarding the kingdom of God and the return of the Son of Man. In verse 22, Jesus said to his disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. There were those days that they so wanted the Son of Man to appear. Just imagine this. All of them died a martyr's death except for John. John was locked away in Patmos writing the book of Revelation. All the rest of them suffered a martyr's death. And of course, they were hoping and praying, Jesus, I'm hoping it's now because this hurts. This hanging upside down on the cross. You know, when they were persecuted. and But they didn't see the Son of Man manifest in that moment. And it's during these 
desperate times like facing death and suffering that people are susceptible to false beliefs. You're open to false beliefs when you're, when you're so desperate. And that's why Jesus addressed the susceptibility in verse 23. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. When we're so desperate for Jesus' return, we also open ourselves up to false leaders. And this has happened throughout human history. There have been many false teachers leading people astray, especially in light of an impending doom, especially being preached about this apocalyptic end, hurry up and do this thing. That's what happened in Guyana with Jim Jones, isn't it? Or you look at what happened in San Diego with Heaven's Gate. Or you look at what happened in Waco, Texas with the Branch Davidians. And all the while, the Scriptures are clear. Do not follow them. And it's so important for us to study our Bible so that we know not to follow false teachers. So the Family Radio folks and Harold Camping are this classic example, and they're right here in our backyard. Right here, they spent millions of dollars on billboards throughout the world. Do you, you guys remember seeing that stuff? And you know what? Typically, I don't mention people by name because I don't want to talk trash about people. I, I, I don't want to do that. But I love you guys too much to not warn you about someone right in our backyard. I have to let you know. False teacher. I have to. That's my job. Point out the false teacher who may lead you astray, who might pull you astray. And I'm encouraging you to compare what people teach from the Bible to the Bible itself. Me included. People will be coming to you and telling you, look there or look here. And Jesus is telling us, don't go out and follow them. And people are doing this all the time. Look here, this is what we're about and this is the way that the church is and this is the way that you get to heaven. This is the way that you... Stick to the Scriptures. Not some spiritual fad. And so since his false prophecy, Camping has apologized, but you know what? The damage is already done. Many people quit their jobs. Many people drain their retirement savings and their college savings for what was always a false teaching. Jesus told us, that, that people will tell you to look there and look here. Do not go out or follow them. Why? Because verse 24. For as the lightning flashes and, the, and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in His day. You know what was really cool about that verse for me? I was looking at this verse last Thursday night when all that lightning was flashing and stuff like that. And I was thinking, Yes! Like, come on, Jesus, come on, come back. And I was, I don't have to deal with sin anymore. I don't have to deal with difficult people anymore. I love it. Please, come on. It didn't happen. I'm still here. I still have to deal with sin. I still have to deal with difficult people. And so the coming of Jesus will happen so quickly and so unexpectedly on a global scale that people aren't going to misunderstand what's going on. They're going to know. But first things first. Verse 25. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So first, Jesus had to suffer and be rejected by his people. 
First, Jesus had to die, resurrect, ascend to heaven before returning. And so we're in that not yet aspect. He hasn't returned yet, but all those other things have happened. And to describe what the Son of Man's return will be like, Jesus gave some Old Testament pictures, verses 26 and 27. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. What's it going to be like when the Son of Man returns? Think about the days of Noah. Think about it. What happened? What happened then? Noah built an ark. He's building an ark. So are we to build an ark? Or look for someone building an ark? Russell Crowe, maybe? You know he's going to star in that movie, Noah, right? You guys didn't know that? Yeah? That's pretty cool, right? Buffed out Noah, gladiator. It's got Russell Crowe there. This is awesome. Seriously. Why did Jesus mention Noah? Because in the days of Noah, things were going as usual. Nothing big happening. People were eating and they were drinking and they were marrying and being given in marriage until Noah went into the ark. And then the flood came and it destroyed them. That was it. Judgment came in the midst of just what was usual. The usual happenings in life. Nothing special, nothing out of the ordinary that day. Just another day in the life of people. And then judgment. See, that's how it's going to be upon Christ's return. We're just going to be doing our stuff. We're going to just go into work and go into school, playing with our kids, visiting family, having barbecue and eating, sleeping, shopping. Judgment. It's going to come like that. Verse 28, Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. What's it going to be like upon Christ's return? Think about the days of Lot. Just everyday life. Eating and drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. Just everyday stuff. You're just going to be doing your regular stuff. Verses 29 and 30. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all, so will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In Jesus' second coming, He will reveal Himself on a day like any other day. It's not going to be some special thing. You're just going to be doing your regular stuff. And then people will realize it's Jesus. Judgment. Verse 31, On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Why? Because that's what happens in emergencies. Right? In an emergency, you're thinking you're going to save yourself. Not something else, right? It's just, if the ship is sinking, you're not worried about getting your favorite t-shirt from your carry-on. You're, you're, you're busy looking for an exit. You're busy looking for a, to get into a life raft. 
So upon Jesus' second coming, any concern you have about material things, that, that's gone. You're not going to think about that stuff. Any concern that you have about life on this earth will either go out the window or it's going to glaringly show how unready you are for His return. So are you ready? Are you ready? If He shows up right now, are you ready? Or are you preoccupied with worldly things? You know what? I'd like to think that I'm ready. I think that I am. Yeah, when that lightning showed on Thursday, I was like, good to go. I love my kids, but I'm good. And I love my wife, but I'm really good to go. And I have a great relationship with my family and friends. I have a great marriage. I have a great relationship with my kids. I have great relationships. And I I love the calling that God has given me as a pastor to, to pastor this church. I love my job. I have a blessed life. I am blessed in every way. There's nothing wrong with my life. I love it. But I want to be with Jesus more than all the other stuff. I'd rather be with Jesus. See, there's nothing I'm going to look back at and turn back to and not go with Jesus because of that. There's there's nothing. I'm going to look for my loved ones there. You know, I'm like, where's Katie? Where's my daughter? You know, where's my dad? You know, where's all these people that I know had a relationship with Jesus? And I'm like, hey, we're here. We made it, right? No more sin. That's awesome. No more, like, I'm not going to get mad at you anymore and, like, do stupid things. And But there's nothing material that I'm going to look back at, right? I mean, I don't have anything material that's like, we're like, oh, check out my minivan. I don't know, like, what? Now, what if you're not quite ready? And you do look at the stuff upon Christ's return. You do look back at that stuff and say, but wait. Jesus, wait. Verse 32. Remember Lot's wife. What happened to Lot's wife? She looked back. She looked back when leaving Sodom. Right? Even though she was physically leaving, right? she was on her way, her body was going somewhere, but everything else was towards Sodom. She was still there. Right? Her feet are still there. Her feet are moving, but her heart was there. Her thoughts were there. Everything about her was still there except her physical body. Just because you physically come to church every Sunday, And some of you might even come here more than Sunday. Some of you come here multiple times a week. It doesn't mean that what's happening in this physical realm is happening within you. What's happening inside of you? You might be coming here physically multiple times a week, but on the inside, you're actually pretty far from God. Remember Lot's wife. Remember that. She looked back. And that's where she really was. Her feet were taking her one way, but her heart and her spirit and her mind, her soul, that remained there. And you know what? God will give you the dignity to live like that. You want that? You are given the dignity to do that. He will honor that. God wants all of you. Not this shell. He wants all of you. And so Lot's 
wife would have been saved if she really wanted to be with God, but she didn't. She was back there. So remember Lot's wife. Are you ready? Or are you going to be looking back because the things of this world have a grip on your heart more than the things of God do? Verse 33, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Who do you live for? I mean, is it for your kids or is it for your family? Is it for your spouse? Or Do you live for Jesus or do you live for someone else? Do you live for the things of this world or do you live for the things of God? Do you live for the temporary or do you live for the everlasting? Are you about dying to yourself or preserving yourself? Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus told us, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, don't get the order mixed up. Right? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Are we ready, church? Are we ready? Verses 34 through 36. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And then this verse here is not in all manuscripts, but this is, this is a verse that's in there as well. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. See, your relationships, no matter how close they are, whether they are family or friends, your relationships, they don't save you. They don't save you. Just because your wife or your husband has a right relationship with God doesn't mean you do also. This is a personal, individual thing. Even if the two of you are just like cuddling tight, and you're just like, and you're sharing one blanket, and, uh, and because you know some couples they have to share two because they always fight about. I, I do a lot of marital counseling, but um, and, and and the ones that 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 go are the ones that are right with God. It's not like. I gotcha. I'm coming along. No, one goes and one, you are judged. Right? And hopefully both of you are right with God. Your friends that you've been sharing Jesus with at school or at work and you've heard the gospel and intellectually you can accept that to be true. But the fact of the matter is that you haven't accepted Jesus into your life. And just because you know the gospel as a story and you know that the biblical doctrines because you guys have been talking about it, it doesn't mean that you'll be taken. Just because your good friend or colleague goes doesn't mean that you get a free ride because you've been listening to them. There's no relationship that can save you except for the one that you have with Jesus. Everyone will be saved or judged based on their personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You will come face to face with Jesus. The faithful will be saved. The unfaithful judged. Those are the options. Verse 37. And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. What? What does this mean? What are you talking about? Well, earlier... It was mentioned that it's not going to be by watchful observation that we're going to recognize the coming of the kingdom of God, right? It's not by something that we're going to see, like, oh, yeah. Get ready, guys, he's coming. It's not going to be like that. 
But what will be an obvious observation is the judgment. The judgment is going to be obvious. It's going to be terribly obvious. Just as terribly obvious as a corpse and the gathering of vultures circling around. So it will be for those facing judgment. It is going to be terribly obvious when you face judgment. Just like you see vultures around a corpse. The second coming of Jesus Christ will be obvious. It will be global, unexpected, inevitable. And for those who don't have Jesus as their Lord and Savior, disastrous. Are you ready? The answers provided to us in the Bible, they are understandable, coherent, convincing, and complete. And there are those who argue that all religions are the same and they all lead to the same place. That is false. That is not true. That is your personal belief. Your own personal belief. But the vast majority of the religions of the world do not believe that. They don't believe that. Most religions of the world are are not compatible with one another. Most are contradictory to one another. For example, the origins of life. Christians believe that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that we are created. So that is not compatible with religions that believe that we come from nothing. Christians believe in a single incarnation of God, that Jesus came once as God incarnate. So that is not compatible with any religions that believe in reincarnation. It's not compatible. And so these are just a couple instances where both beliefs can't be right. They are not compatible and they contradict with one another. Christians believe Jesus to be God. He's not just a great prophet. He's not just a great teacher. So to believe anything less than Jesus to be God is blasphemous thought outside of Christianity. And it is not compatible with other religions because it contradicts them. So this is not a popular thing for me to say, right? I mean, oh, you want your church to grow. You can't say things like that. You can't say things about hell and judgment and all this stuff. But you know what? He's coming, and I can't lie to you. I can't lie to you about what the Bible teaches. I'm not interested in church growth because I'm ready to go. I don't care. What what am I going to gain? I'm going to have lightning flashing on Thursday. I'm like, shoot. Nowhere in the Bible does it claim that as a disciple of Jesus, may you have any other gods. You cannot. You can look it up for yourselves. don't, Don't take my word for it. But you cannot, as a Christian, have any other gods. So I I tell you this not because I want to offend you or offend your friends or offend your family or offend people visiting here, even though I'm sure that I am. That's not my intent. I tell you all these things because your everlasting life depends on it. It depends on it. And if you're here, even though I don't know you personally, I need to tell you because we're in this church together. And you're listening to me. But it doesn't mean we all experience God's salvation together. Because one of us goes and one of us might stay. Just because you're hanging around here doesn't mean you go. Some will experience judgment. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus 
Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Are you ready? Where does your hope lie? Are you ready for Jesus' return? Are you praying for your preparedness? Don't compromise on the exclusivity of Jesus as people and our culture are swaying you to look there or look here. Jesus says, do not go out there and follow them. Don't do it. Jesus' return, I don't know when it is, but this is something I do know. It's closer today than it was yesterday. I know that much. And I know it's closer tomorrow than it was today. It's not a time to compromise. It is time for us to be ready. And as we don't know when His return will be, we just have to be ready. So we'll be just going about our everyday business. And it's going to happen all of a sudden. You're just going to be doing your stuff. And we are to be ready, not looking back. I'm ready. See, tolerance is not a good thing if you have to sell your soul for it. Right? Like, oh, tolerance. We are to be legally tolerant and we are to be socially tolerant, not intellectually tolerant. For example, tolerance is an extreme value in our society. It's one of the top ones, don't you think? Especially in the Bay Area. It's so much of value that if you reject someone else's beliefs, you are intolerant and you are so looked upon uh, as unfavorable. You are below scum. But isn't that equally as intolerant of my beliefs, if you believe that of me? Which makes that inconsistent logic. So we can't be intellectually tolerant because that is illogical. There is no logic or reasoning for intellectual tolerance. Right? It's totally different for social tolerance. People come from a wider array of upbringings and and we live differently. We were brought up differently. So things within a a social framework like how we dress or how we eat or or how we look at time or how we dance or, or don't dance and all these different things that there's a tolerance to be practiced socially. Reasonable people accept this and they exercise this. This is reasonable. You go to a place where they eat with their hands and they don't have utensils, you practice that tolerance and you eat with your hands. You don't go there demanding like, I need a fork and a spoon. Eat with your hands. Eat with your hands. Right? So, so when this comes to the intellect, though, intellectual tolerance is not the same. Legal tolerance... We practice legal tolerance. In our democracy, there are ways for us to make amendments to laws. Right? And so judges are not locked into how they sentence people. There are a variety of sentences that they exercise tolerance so that they can show leniency to a first-time offender or they can be more severe to a repeat offender. There is a wide range of their tolerance. And reasonable people accept this. And the judges exercise this. And people exercise this as well in terms of asking for things. When a jury comes together and they talk about this, it's different for intellectual tolerance. It is not the same. One reason is not equal to another reason. Not all roads lead to heaven. This is illogical. That is unreasonable. 
when you go to a doctor and she tells you, you're going to need this eye surgery in order to save your eyesight. She doesn't tell you to just show up on the front desk and have the person that you show up to to put some visine in your eye. She doesn't do that. You, you go through with the surgery in order to save your eyesight. You, you go through with that. There's no room for intellectual tolerance there and just say like, you know, the way that I treat you and the way that my receptionist treats you, it's all going to be the same. It all, you, either way, you're going to get your eyesight. That's not, it's not possible. And so everyone knows that that's not going to work. It's baseball season. And you only score by circling the bases and touching each base and touching home plate. That's the only way you score. There are no runs for getting to first base or hitting a double or hitting a triple. You have to safely touch first base, second base, third base, and home plate in order to score a run. That's the only way. You cannot score another way. Right? Everyone who understands baseball understands this. You don't hit a single and you get on first base and say like, Yay, I got a quarter of a point. Or hit a double, I got a half a point. There's no room for intellectual tolerance there. It is clear. Right? That's clear. And so there are many people who believe that all roads lead to heaven, which I believe is true. Because everyone comes face to face with God. Everyone comes face to face with God. And that is essentially what heaven is, isn't it? You are in the presence of God. But will that face to face encounter... Will that be a momentary moment where you are judged and that is it? Or are you going to be at home and say, God, I'm home, thanks, forever? We all face God. We will all face God. But is Jesus your Savior or not? Will you be face-to-face with God in that encounter for a time of salvation or one of judgment? Because we're all guilty of sin. That is why we need a Savior. We are all guilty of sin. So the parting question is, are you ready? And my encouragement and exhortation to you is, be ready. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your stern warning. Lord, we can present facts and we can present things that make sense. We can present everything that kind of lines up logically and reasonably. But that doesn't necessarily change the heart. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would supernaturally change people's hearts and minds to steer them towards you. We all know that smoking cigarettes is not good for our health that it exponentially increases our chances of lung cancer. We all know that exercise and a good diet is good for us, yet how many of us don't do that? How many millions of people smoke? And it has nothing to do with intellect, Lord, and we understand that. We pray for heart change for people. We ask for you to touch people's lives, God. In Jesus' name, amen.